Hi, everyone. This is Gary Bean, welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 34. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel today consists of Jim McCarty, husband to the late Carla Ruckert and scribe for The Raw Contact, Mr. Jeremy Wyland, a longtime friend of LL Researchers and a volunteer who manages our Twitter account, and along with myself and Austin Bridges, who are working hard to keep the mission of LL Research alive and well, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions from spiritual seekers that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. Our replies to these questions are not final and authoritative. Instead, they're generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We always ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Gary Bean, and we're embarking on a, a new and unusual episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Um, Austin, Jeremy, Jim, everybody on board? On board. Ready to roll. Oh, yeah. Jeremy's here. All right, so um, in known Jeremy for a long time and know what conversation with Jeremy can be like. And it's a very fruitful conversation to have. He's, he's a <laughs> no, no pressure. Jeremy. <laughs> so you better perform today is what I'm saying. Um, he is great at driving the conversation with a very probing mind that can scan the landscape and describe what he sees or considers. So there's a chance that um, this first question, which is coming from Jeremy, may take up the whole episode. So in which case, I propose that um, we continue on into the second question and we could consider dividing up this episode into two. So um, Jeremy is one of the handful of people who listens to us on a regular basis and um, also an excellent formulator of questions. And today he has a question for us to discuss. Jeremy, take it away. Well, uh, yeah, I had a few questions that have just been on my mind lately. One of them is uh, concerning sincerity and honesty. Um, They seem to be very powerful forces in the world of metaphysics. And they strike me as uh, positively required qualities on the seeker's path. These are such personal matters, though. Are there ways that we can concretely enhance our sincerity and honesty of seeking, or at least get better at understanding what holds us back? Uh, Solid question. Thank you. We will, per our usual format, have our long-form replies with each of us um, taking a stab at your question. After which time, um, you will be expected to have uh, absorbed that all and uh, feel free to reply, query further or share whatever thoughts came to your mind after we're done. So how about we start with Jim McCarty and see what he's got for you? Well, that's a really good question. It's a question that I think in order to answer adequately and in order to live out any kind of answer that it would take a while, uh, I think a lot of contemplation would need to go into thinking about what it is that you really do want in your life. And that might take uh, you know, a few days or a weekend at least to retreat somewhere so that you could focus on this question. It's not something I think that's easily answered just off the top of your head you know, for yourself. And that once you're able to just look at everything that you have available to you as opportunities, as talents, as your currently understood desires and uh, your, your your level of honesty that you perceive in yourself, then take the fruits of that thinking, of that contemplation, into meditation. The Confederation is always advising us to meditate. And for a long time, I really didn't see why they kept harping on this. But I think now that meditation is really the way that we get to the heart of ourselves and to the heart of any matter that we want to consider. So after you spend a good deal of time really thinking mentally about what it is you believe you want to do with your life and how you want to do it, then uh, go into meditation with uh, what you've come up with and really give it some effort. Uh, maybe start the meditation off with just uh, what you have thought. And then 
maybe let it go free form and, and see if something comes up to you. See if you have an inner guidance or that still small voice that comes through because indeed by taking all this time you're demonstrating a sincerity and an honesty. So it seems like when we, uh, we knock that the, the door is open and we want answers and the answers do come because we are sincere. And if you uh, invest the time and the energy into these questions, I think that uh, fruit can come from it. That's it for me. Thanks so much, Jim. Um, Austin, what do you think? Well, I think that if someone's at a point where they're even questioning their own sincerity and honesty, then they are uh, poised for sincere and honest seeking. Um, some people don't even consider the idea that their desires and their uh, uh, biases on their path of seeking can even be subject to hidden or unknown um, agendas within their unconscious mind, maybe. <clears throat> um, but to get past that, it takes a realization of our motivations and beliefs and biases and realizing that they may be propped up by a so-called ego and they rely on some sort of transient or illusory principles that we have gained within our lifetimes. My own idea of how to cope with this isn't necessarily profound and uh, relies heavily on what Jim was talking about, basically contemplation and meditation. But uh, the method I have found serviceable so far in my own path is to simply, in meditation and contemplation, examine our desires. Uh, focus of the mind is helpful here, and I think that uh, this is something that Ra talks about as being will, the ability to concentrate the attention, <clears throat> and um, just the idea of having the ability to silence the mind so that you can spend a good amount of time uh, with something occupying your mental space. And so uh, allow this desire to fill you up and get a, a good picture of the desire in your mind and sit with it. And I think that after you're sitting with it for a while, you start to feel a sort of deeper pull connected to that desire. And this deeper pull, I think, is the connection between your conscious realization of the desires and its unconscious roots. And it's the constant dive into that unconscious to these roots that I think helps to keep us honest and sincere in our seeking. And like Jim was talking about, I think this is the reason the Confederation emphasizes meditation so much because it is through meditation that we're able to sort of consciously plumb these depths of our unconscious. So sometimes a desire or a bias may be found to have rather shallow roots or that is it is based upon a very illusory or ego-based premise. Uh, one example that comes to my mind, <clears throat> and this is not a specific example, it is something I just came up with, is a person who wishes to learn how to channel. Their expressed reason for this desire to might be in order to help people. They say that they want to serve others through channeling, but perhaps there's a deeper reason that is hardly realized by that person, and that... Uh, is the idea of being relied upon as a source of information or being heralded as some sort of prophet maybe and that idea is exciting to them so they may think consciously of themselves that they just want to help people but uh, they haven't necessarily examined this desire to the point where they realize that what is really exciting to them is the idea that people uh, will flock to them in their profound statements that they are channeling so to reveal the deeper roots of that desire, uh, just taking that desire to channel into meditation and sitting with it, imagining it and allowing it to fill you, you can start to pick apart the things about that desire that excite you. And as you sit with it, I think that you'll feel a pull towards the idea that it's not necessarily the service to others aspect that is exciting. It might be the more ego-based, something that satisfies your ego that is exciting. And then that realization is what you can work with then. You meditate with that realization and realize where the roots of that realization are. So this is a very basic and broad description of a practice, and I think it can apply, be applied to pretty much any sort of catalyst that we experience. 
it can be focused on our desires in our journey of spiritual seeking, or it can be focused on an emotional response we feel towards a person or a circumstance, no matter the situation being meditated on, so long as we're intending to find the deeper roots and uh, getting to the heart of the situation, I think that doing so will help us to reveal the hidden parts of ourselves that uh, I think come with being honest and sincere as a seeker. I think we have to be willing to examine the parts of ourselves we aren't uh, necessarily willing or excited about examining in order to say that we are being honest in our seeking. So that's uh, what I have for it. How about you, Gary? That means I'm up to bat. Um, <clears throat> so I would begin my consideration of this question uh, by asking what is sincerity itself? And uh, so far as I can understand, I think it is a freedom from pretense and falsity and deceit. And it is an authentic, uh, rather authentically feeling and executing and representing your intentions and feelings and perspective. <clears throat> an authentic knowing of those intentions, feelings and perspective. And if there is a lack of sincerity, there may be multiple reasons, including uh, perhaps you are conscious, and I mean the general you, perhaps you are conscious of your true intentions and desires, but cloak them in order to deceive. So you are thusly being insincere. Uh, perhaps you feel an obligation to perform certain acts or say certain things due to uh, pressure from others but you are not sincere in performing those acts or speaking those words. And uh, finally, perhaps you are confused about your intentions and motivations, as Austin was um, illustrating in the excellent example. Um, you think you, you are doing something for one reason, but in actuality you are motivated towards a different end. Um, for those in that final category of being confused about their intentions and motivations, I think... Um, sincerity can be arrived at through uh, disciplined self-knowing and self-accepting. And um, I think Jim and Austin both did an excellent job um, talking about that process, um, which includes uh, meditation, I think, necessarily, and self-examination, necessarily. And as Austin pointed out in the beginning of his reply, if one is asking themselves that question, then they are poised um, to discover that which is sincere within and that which is not sincere and i think every human has a mix of both because we're um hidden from ourselves as it were and we're unknown to ourselves and it's a, it's a process of self-discovery um so i i won't elaborate more on that process um <clears throat> but i will note that in considering this question it occurred to me that there i think that there is a power in sincerity uh an example that came to my mind uh is to imagine the man who enters the monastery motivated by a sincere desire to seek the creator in quietude uh, versus he who enters the monastery because it offers the only means available for economic security, let's say. Um, both will move through the same rituals and procedures of mon monastic life. Uh, both will live the same basic life on the outer picture, but due to the sincerity of the one man, uh, he will reap rewards in spirit that the other man will not. Um, and another thought occurred to me about or regarding how one becomes sincere. And, uh, I think that, uh, if we practice sincerity to the extent that can be practiced, um, that is being honest with ourselves, being honest with others, then we become more sincere. I recall, um, Carla's encouragement to essentially fake it till you make it when it comes to faith, act as if you had faith. And you will realize that you have faith. <clears throat> um, and it, it doesn't become an act of uh, kind of uh, faking faith, as it were. That is ripe for misunderstanding. But, and I don't know how well it translates to sincerity. But, and uh, a final thought, <clears throat> and that's that um, Ra does in one instance talk about insincerity. And they're talking about um, the exercises for the general exercises for the general reader. Um, and they say that uh, they suggest seeking awareness of love within the moment. 
and doing it again and again and again and how that repetition of seeking love empowers, um, is empowering each time it's done. And then Ra goes on to say, uh, there will be some loss of power due to flaws within the seeking and the distortion of insincerity. So I take that to mean if, if you're seeking love within the moment, but you're not entirely sincere about it, if you have maybe mixed motivations for it, then there will be some loss of power. But then Ra goes on to say, however, the conscious statement of self to self of the desire to seek love is so central an act of will that as before, the loss of power due to this friction is inconsequential. So even though you may not feel it 100% with your being, and even though it may feel a bit like empty words, it's still such a central thing. It's so powerful that it, it activates the right notes, so to speak. And there is some loss of power due to insincerity, but nevertheless, you have set something in motion. And the more you can do that, the more that's going uh, to blossom until it becomes fully sincere, until it, till it uh, fills you. And um, about it being such a central act of will, Ra specifically identifies what those things are which are that central um, when they talk about the fundamental teachings of all planes of existence, um, being unity, love, light, and joy. So that wraps up um, it for me. Uh, Jim Rawson, do you have anything more before we uh, ask Jeremy if he has any thoughts? No, I don't think so. Nope, not for me. All right, Jeremy, how would you how would you rate that? Uh, I would rate it pretty highly. Um, That's the right answer, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's helpful to like get such a um, self esteem boost just by coming on a podcast and, and being uh, so fully accepted and praised. And you know, every podcast uh, episode I listen to poses a question that you know any semi serious seeker has a position and an opinion on. But it's really a gift to be able to get not just one or two, but three uh, different ways of thinking about it that somebody can take back into their seeking, into their private practice. And and really, uh, it provides just high-quality grist for the mill, mill of self-examination, you know, critically appraising our positions on these questions and making sure that we're really integrating not just things that come naturally, but the things that might take us a little while. And you know, you guys bring up those things that I didn't come up with. It's very helpful. Um, specifically, what you said, Gary, um, I, I felt like what you were talking about with you know faking it till you make it and trying to uh, you know practice sincerity even when you can't achieve it one hundred percent. You know what 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 what's confounding in that is you don't have a good feedback mechanism. You know that's that's the that's the result, I guess, of that metaphor of working in the dark with a tiny candle. And there's no easy measures of honesty and sincerity. So there's no way to like have our purity in, in those measures um, reflected back to us uh, consistently and, and obviously. Uh, so all of the things that you guys have talked about, I've been taking notes on all of them. And uh, this is all just great stuff to contemplate. Um, I think that one thing I'm looking for is to know when I've gotten there, when I know that I've really met the core of self and that I'm, and that it's an honest thing that has no pretense. And, uh, you know, there, there may not be an, a discrete end to this path is what I think I'm taking from a lot of your answers that I'm looking for an end that, that, that doesn't exist. It just goes on and on. And you just, you just become more and more deeply yourself. So, uh, that's, I, I just am so appreciative of you guys putting your your full minds and hearts into this and, and giving me so much to work with. Uh, thank you so much for that analysis. I feel likewise listening to Jim and Austin give replies. Um, I'm more often than not um, surprised and illuminated that um, something passed through their brain which hadn't through mine and illuminates my own thoughts. So it's it's really rewarding. And of course, the questions themselves uh, kind of force us to consider in ways that we may not have in our own musings and own day to day. So it's definitely, uh, I feel it's more of a learn slash teach on our end with these questions. Um, regarding your uh, reply to our replies, um, you mentioned looking for an end or seeking a goal line, I'm paraphrasing. And uh, I think that's an illusion that we all deal with. I know I haven't shaken that for myself. There's always 
a sense of a goal up ahead or, or a finish line that you're looking for. And I agree completely with you that there really there isn't no end. The journey just deepens. It goes on forever. It's um, infinite from beginning to end and begins and ends in mystery. But um, as to you mentioned a, another nuance in there regarding how do I know um, when I've I forget the exact words, but it was something along the lines of how do I know when I've contacted that that deep self or that true self or the authentically the rather the authentic self. And um, I think there's a, a self evidential quality to that. Um, there isn't a, a standard so much or a, a yardstick from outside, though certainly we can take the reports from mystics and from other spiritual seekers about the spiritual path and use that to um, somewhat distill or measure or filter, understand our own path and um, cross-check it and examine it. But I think, like you were indicating, there aren't really hard and fast rules. And I I think it becomes uh, self-evidential. You know, you know it because you know it, that um, you are contacting something deeper than, than the surface mind. But uh, Austin and Jim, what do you think? Well, uh, one of the uh, themes that's come up throughout the years in meditation is people asking this very same question. And usually when the Confederation answers, they say that it's not really possible or advisable to try to take your spiritual temperature, that you can't really get a solid idea about where you are. What you can get is a good solid idea of what your intentions are. So as long as you know that you're making the best effort that you can, then I think that's when the, the faith comes in, that uh, you are making the best effort that you can. And then I think an important part of the journey is to accept yourself for making that effort and not look at yourself as coming up short. But give yourself credit for having the purest intentions that you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I think that a lot of people, maybe not a lot of people, there is a misconception sometimes uh, about spirituality, especially when people are just starting on the path that um, there will be an end, that there will be a point where the seeker will reach a point of happiness. Uh, Some people might call it enlightenment, and I do think that enlightenment can exist, but uh, it's a harsh realization for a lot of seekers that um, there is not necessarily a stopping point, that it is an ongoing process, and I think that um, uh, real beneficial uh, spirituality is uh, acknowledging that it is a process of evolution and then uh, um, accepting and engaging in that process throughout our lifetimes, realizing that it's going to be ongoing uh, through this lifetime and through many, many more lifetimes. And uh, the idea of a lack of reflection of our um, spiritual temperatures, as Jim called it, I think that is also an artifact of the fact that we're going through this process within third density. Um, the candlelight metaphor you used, Jeremy, reminded me of the archetype of faith or hope, which is the star in the tarot, which I don't know if this interpretation is... Um, objective in any way, but I've always imagined it to be uh, that star that we follow that in the darkness, uh, where it doesn't illuminate everything. We're still within a darkened environment, but there is the star in the distance that gives us just a tiny pinprick of guidance. And uh, that, I think, is indicative of third density itself, is that that faith is really just sort of a pinprick of guidance that we have to rely on, and the faith is relying on that little little bit of guidance. <clears throat> and um, we don't ever fully know, and we can't know in this environment. As Ra uh, said, this is not the density of knowing. Thanks so much, Jim and Austin. Uh, Jeremy, you have any thoughts to bounce back? The only thought I have is this idea that I've read over and over in the Confederation material of not being being uh, okay with the fact that all of this might be a little uncomfortable and that you don't ever necessarily 
ever get comfortable. And that's the end that we all, I feel like I really seek, right? It's like, I want to just know and like be comfortable and like have this very concrete understanding of it. But I think it's the ability to abide in that discomfort and still seek that really builds up the strength. And I just got to do that work, right? Yeah, I think it's getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> well Realizing said. that discomfort is part of the process and being open to that discomfort, knowing that it is uh, opportunity rather than a hindrance. Yeah, otherwise, you will be um, engaging in and perpetuating in that which is endemic to this planet, and that's the seeking of comfort and of sleep and pleasure and gratification and anonymity, as, as Ra said. So you definitely, I think spiritual seeking necessarily includes stepping outside of your comfort zone. Um, but it's not always wearing the hairy shirt. I think it, it comes with its own um, moments, at least, of uh, deep peace and satisfaction in a sense that uh, I'm on the right path. <clears throat> and there's something driving me forward to this path. And I need to honor that and be sincere in that. Yeah, I think it's important to note that there, peace is available, but the peace um, is an underlying peace that might still be present while you are un uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's something that I've found through <clears throat> uh, the law of one is a sense of really deep peace uh, despite discomfort. So it is a path of peace. It's just not one where you will always be physically comfortable and all of your needs and desires are met by the universe which is uh, what a lot of seekers or some seekers are seeking. All right. Uh, we are at 32 minutes. Um, Jim, do you have time to um, go on to the next question? Sure. All right. Well, we'll switch things around this time. Um, Jeremy is somebody that, uh, in addition to being a very intelligent person, is a very informed person, especially on certain topics. Well... <laughs> That sounds dumb to say. Uh, so we, we wanted to turn this around because Jeremy's a good friend of ours and we know he's been undergoing a transformation in the past year. So we wanted to um, ask him about that. Of all the millions of people uh, I know, um, I've... <laughs> millions? <laughs> it's, a, it's a true statement. Um, asterisk over the course of seven densities. Uh, I've never met anyone who's made so thorough and intensive a study of politics. Uh, you, Jeremy, have spent untold hours and many years of your life systematically considering politics, specifically radical politics, uh, reading tens of thousands of pages on the topic and being very actively politically involved. Um, throughout your political studies and involvement, you've been a spiritual seeker who's interested, obviously, in the law of one. Um, but in the past year, you've gradually moved away from politics being the preeminent force and focus of your life to um, spirituality being your primary drive and concern. So two questions for you. Uh, why have you made this transition and what part did the law of one play in it? Oh, great questions. Um, why did I make this transition? It's, uh, honestly, it's, uh, it probably has a lot to do with the questions about sincerity that I've been posing to you all. Um, there is so much, uh, that's hard to accept about the status quo in the present. Um, there is so much that pains people. There's, there's a lot of suffering. And, um, there it is, it is, it's natural to want to come up with a solution to that. And it's natural to want to work towards that. And I've never felt like my work in that regard was something that came from anything but a very high place. And I think I, you know, I, I sort of took a break from spirituality being my primary focus largely because I wanted to be sincere about it. In other words, if politics, if activism was what really engaged me and really was the highest thing that I could do, I felt that it would be insincere to simply pretend like, well, I'm going to keep on, you know, making spirituality my, my focus. Uh, and I think I actually learned a lot about 
the human condition and spirituality by by really diving in. I think sometimes you just got to dive deeply into something and let it wash over you and let it confound you and frustrate you. What I what I realized through working um, with activists and in in the radical political scene where where people are really trying to pose new solutions to things and have new configurations in society that are liberatory and that don't uh, adhere to the normal conventional uh, power structures is that that's all driven in part by personal seeking in a way it expresses itself in this very yellow ray uh, socialized form. And I saw that in myself too, um, that I'm trying to answer personal questions about, you know, my conflicts inside with power, with authority. These are things that you can answer in the political realm and you can find uh, solutions and you can impose solutions, but ultimately they're never going to be solutions that give you the balance that you're looking for. And I see that over and over in activist circles where people coming from a very good place uh, mistake uh, the work in the societal self with the work in the inner self. Not not to make a uh, too fine of a or too coarse of a distinction there, uh, but just to say that um, every, you know, when, when the only tool you have is a hammer and the only tool you want to use is this political activist policy or whatever hammer, um, you're going to see a nail everywhere, including within you, and think that, you know, some sort of uh, uh, political uh, outcome is the goal that you're seeking. I, I started to feel like um, there were there were deeper questions I need to answer about what I would even want out of a political system like this and whether any sort of like mechanistic system, right? Any sort of like, you know, construct that we can put in place that would arrange us in a certain way. It it would never work if we weren't ourselves fully expressing ourselves, fully realizing ourselves and in touch with that. You know, I remember my mom growing up saying that it didn't matter if we were under communism, you know, capitalism, democracy, monarchy, if everybody was in touch with themselves, all of those systems would work because we would all find a way to balance that. So I started, I, there was actually a book that I read that really provide, pr- provided the bridge for that. And it was The Undiscovered Self by Carl Jung. Um, really sort of gave me an idea of how politics refracts and reflects these deeper issues that we have inside of us, as well as how the political scene in totality tends to be a macrocosm of what we're experiencing, what we're experiencing inside a microcosm. Um, And that, I hope that gives you kind of an idea of why I've started to make this shift. And it's still something that I'm in the transition period uh, with, uh, you know, somebody brings up politics and it just, it just comes out like that, and I can easily, uh, I can easily talk about it. But um, I try nowadays to see if it's a way that I can work through my own, my own issues with somebody else, and, and try to find a way that I can bring out the best in them through a political discourse. And that was something I think that happened in Occupy a lot. I was involved in Occupy Richmond in 2011, and I've never been in a more powerful group of people who were seeking political ends. And what I realized is that what was powerful about Occupy uh, wasn't our political ends or, you know, our lack of political ends, but the fact that we all wanted to do this together. And we wanted to create a space where if you felt something was wrong with this country or this planet, there was some place that you could go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and find somebody who may not agree with you, but would at least be able to sincerely talk with you and work these things out. And it is impressed upon me that that's so much more important than having a particular agenda or a particular proposal. So I'm, I'm trying to, I feel in some ways I'm trying to do the same work, but just with a, with a different uh, tool, maybe not a hammer this time. Right. So I'll leave it there. I like that. You said that as um, politics, began to really emerge on your mental scene and you felt a draw towards it that you stayed true to yourself and um 
and involved yourself towards that end. You weren't insincere and are, you didn't rather deny yourself and say, no, I'm a spiritual seeker and I must yeah. focus on this or that. Uh, you went where your heart told you to go and spent years there, a lot of years, um, exploring that. And exploring not only uh, the political scene, not only participating in it at face value in terms of um, these are the policies we want enacted, this is a change, this is what we need to do, but rather reflecting on yourself and examining your own motivations and asking yourself why. Why am I participating in this? Uh, and I like also that you said that um, politics – while you recognize the intentions and the value and the worth of uh, activism and activist, but you suggested, and I'd like you to elaborate on this if, if you don't mind, um, suggested that uh, activism may be a mistaking of the societal self for the inner self. That is um, where work is needed on this work and balance is needed on the self. Instead, that is projected outward. Um, from what I gather you're saying. Is is that true? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, I, and, I'll, and I'll try to be careful about it because I don't want to yeah. – uh, I, don't, I don't want to say that people seeking through any path that they choose isn't a valid and legitimate one. I do, however, think that we live in a very secular society where there are not good tools for delving into the inner self. Um, and in a society like that, in a situation like that, where you don't have any other tools, you haven't considered meditation, you haven't considered, um, a, a practice that can open up, uh, that, that can answer questions about why you're dissatisfied, why the, why the world works the way that it does in a deeper sense. It is very easy to turn to politics and say, well, the, the solution is that we should just change all this, and especially in radical politics. Um, I think the thing that, uh, I, I often struggled with, uh, you three would know because I asked a question about the, the role of acceptance in politics, uh, a few episodes ago. I think it's, uh, it's this balance between knowing that there are things that need to change, um, but that, but that you still have to be able to accept that what you're seeing and experiencing is legitimate catalyst. And that even though you want things to change and you want less suffering and you want a more equitable structure, and that these are all fine ends to pursue, that the work, the, the, the way that you are going to best see the terrain and respond to it and navigate it is by accepting yourself and accepting others as self. And uh, once I, I just feel like right now at this point in my life, that is taking a lot more of my energy and a lot more effort and a lot more uh, just uh, just heartfelt work to work on. And uh, it, you know, it feels, uh, you know, politics, when I first jumped into that and, and was exposed to how, how much was there, it felt very satisfying and it felt like a, a way to explore the self. So it, it can be a valid way to explore the self. But if you find yourself being angered so much, and believe me, there are a lot of people out there who engage in politics as, you know, a way to work through their emotions of anger. And I would, I, I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. It's just, it would be nice if they had uh, someone, you know, that they trusted to be able to say, there are other ways that you can approach this too, that would help you be more balanced, that would help you feel more self-accepted and would also help you be a better activist. Hmm. So politics isn't um, exclusive to spirituality. It doesn't necessarily exclude a spiritual path. One can be, of course, spiritual while pursuing activism, just as one can um, be spiritual in nearly any life circumstance. But for those not aware of methods or practices yeah. or an avenue for exploring the inner self, then politics can become their platform on an outer level to engage that work. Right. And it, and because there's something, especially in radical politics, that's inherently tied to not accepting the way things are and being driven by this lack of acceptance, it can, it can, it can turn very dark and in a way that it doesn't need to. Um, there's, there's nothing wrong with saying things need to change, but I accept the way they are to the extent that 
I look at it clearly and that I, and that I allow myself to feel deeply this pain instead of using anger as a way to not feel it deeply. The more you can feel this stuff, uh, the more tools you'll have for engaging with all of the different, you know, traumas and, 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 and sufferings that are out there. It seemed that's a very <clears throat> intricate and enlightening view of activism that, um, I'd never heard it explained and compared to spirituality so well. Uh, but I think that this dynamic is something that exists in a lot of things in our reality. And it seems like activism politics might be a more advanced and intricate way for it to happen. But I think there's a lot of things that people can get sucked into that could be a really beneficial way to examine the self and explore spirituality, but without the tools or the will to uh, use these things to examine the self, it just becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. Um, just even simple things like uh, watching TV could be a way to just turn off and go to sleep in your mind, or you could really engage with the archetypes you're seeing uh, played out on the television. You could really engage with the emotions that are being explored through that means. Um, uh, and there's just... Pretty much anything in our society, I think, can be used as a distraction or a projection to avoid the self, but could also be used as a way to explore the self if the tools are um, there and are used. Yeah, absolutely. I, In fact, I think I looked a lot um, at my political practice and interest as an excuse or a reason why I couldn't be more spiritual for a long time. And now, of course, you know, politics is just another human dynamic, and there's no reason that that can't be more fully human by accepting yourself and, 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 and you know, getting into the disciplines of personality and, and really uh, doing the work that, that, that you're called to do inside. Jim, did you have anything you wanted to grill Jeremy about? <laughs> well, uh, we... No, I think uh, Jeremy Raw is better than grilled. <laughs> I was thinking, though, that, um, you know, I was listening to you guys talk so intelligently about politics and wondering about myself, you know, back in the college days, I was uh, more interested, I guess, then in, in politics and how things worked and in the uh, war in Vietnam and the incursion into Cambodia were happening and the campuses were alive and uh, campuses were riots and demonstrations and shutting down. And, you know, I was halfway involved in that. And then since then, it seems like I have not been involved at all. But then as we listen to people who have questions about one thing or another in their relationships with others, especially in groups, you know, politics is unavoidable because politics is how people deal with each other in groups, basically, and how we may uh, ex exercise power over each other or with each other. And I think that's, that's really something that can't be avoided. And uh, on the you know perhaps on the national level it can get a little crazy. I guess it can get crazy anywhere. But even in you know families, uh, communities, and schools at work, they, if you have people there, you have politics. You have people that are working for a certain agenda, and maybe they're doing it in the open. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's hidden. Um, you have conspiracies. You have people. Oh, let's, let's try this here, but don't tell him, okay? Yeah. And then uh, you know it, I mean, it's, it's just the way human beings are. So there, there's really no way not to be part of the political system. That is a great, that's a great point. And it's something that once I realized that politics is just, you know, you know, it can be, it can be primate socialization behavior, or it can be the bridge to social memory. And so trying to find the way to take all of our interactions and make them the highest expressions of what we want for our fellow man is, is really the work. So you made a shift from, um, politics to at least politics being a primary focus to being more uh, happening more on the periphery or in the background. And it seems from what I gather, what motivated that shift was a realization that um, that particular arena had limitations and that in order to do the inner work that you wanted to do, it would simply require more focus and a greater quality of time spent um, not focusing on the political scene per se, but focusing on the self. Is is that accurate? Am I understanding that right? Uh, 
Yeah, it's it, it is accurate, and it, but it, it bears some explication because um, everybody you know understands that in 2016, uh, the way that we engage in politics is inherently tied to the internet and this never-ending stream of stimulus and information. And in order, you know, I, I definitely felt that in order to be active, to be informed and able to do what I needed to do, I had to just keep my attention focused on this stream of information. So I would say that uh, stepping away from politics has also largely been about like being much more careful about how I uh, use my mind, what I pay attention to, and um, understanding that the right political engagements will present themselves to me rather than this sort of fear of missing out that I'm going to like miss some, you know, piece of info, crucial piece of information about how things work or, or some, some, some protest or something coming up that I'll have regretted not participating in. I, I need, I'm trying to uh, work on the faith that I will be put in the positions where I can be most helpful. Hmm. Austin or Jamie, have anything more for Jeremy? Uh, I just want to agree with your last statement, Jeremy. I believe that uh, as long as you're out there you know, doing your best and trying, that you will be put exactly where you need to be. I don't think there are any mistakes, like Ross said. And I think that uh, we, we make plans before this life begins to do certain things. And um, if we're open to our, our own inner voice, our intuition, that those things are going to happen. Yep. Ross said each entity receives a opportunity that each needs something along those lines so anytime that we will be needed for service it will present it to us anytime that there is an opportunity for self-realization it will be presented to us as well so i think that is a, a wise statement so if final I feel like there's so much I'd love to uh, pick your brain about. Um, we've all had so many conversations in the past with you as well. Um, the final question I can uh, th think to ask you right now is um, since you said this is an ongoing transition, it's not um, <clears throat> in the past tense or complete in any sense of the term, and uh, you, you're finding your feet again on, on a path that originally called to you and that you kind of set aside for a time, uh, what would you say characterizes this uh, new phase and um, or rediscovered phase, and uh, what value have you drawn from it? Uh, I would say it is a lot of my um, political life has been um, kind of having an idea of what I want to accomplish, what I want to see uh, executed in the wider world and then working towards that, trying to put one foot in front of the other to get to that point. Um, so what has been different has been putting one foot in front of the other on the spiritual path and making that something that I'm willing to have patience on myself and work diligently towards instead of in this sort of, you know, activist manifestation. Um, I think changing what I was reading was really important. So I stopped reading so much about, um, you know, radical politics and, and ideolo ideological stuff moved into history. And that was sort of like a bridge between, you know, radical pol political practice and uh, spirituality, because as I, as I read more history, I started to see that, hey, these are just human patterns here. They're not necessarily because we're, um, we're doing some uniquely wrong thing right now. And um, I would also say that as I started to, you know, read more and more of the, of the more spiritually oriented stuff, I started to see how politics became that were teaching me things that I, that I, that I really benefit from. Um, that I don't know if I could have learned any other way. Mm. Um, teaching me things about uh, that I didn't learn in my childhood about power. You know, teaching me things that I didn't learn in my relationships about power. Uh, that that make a lot of sense to me now, but I also can see how to balance them. Um, I just also want to take this opportunity to say how much uh, 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 gratitude and admiration I have for a, a work that uh, LL Research was involved in that Steve Timon wrote called A Fool's Phenomenology, Archetypes of Spiritual Evolution. Um, I think that book, along with The Law of One Material and Jung, really concretized 
what kind of intricate and detailed and passionate work is is possible and needed in the self and especially with respect to all these emotions that had driven me through all these political upheavals and and turmoils and anger um that gave me a real tool to work on this and it's it's been um a real friend of mine as i've tried to balance myself in this way Austin or Jim, any final thoughts for Jeremy? I think I'm out of thoughts. Absolutely empty head. Just, <laughs> Glad to uh, have you on the show, Jeremy. Thank you. Big, big thanks for joining us and sharing your excellent thoughts. It was very enlightening for me. Yeah, it was a real joy to have you on, Jeremy. Thanks for uh, giving us and this podcast and listeners uh, your time. It was an honor duty. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Jim, would you like to say anything to our listeners? Yeah, we want to thank you for listening, uh, for sending in your questions, for being with us, and we want you to know we love you with all our hearts, souls, minds, bodies, spirits, the whole works. Uh, tune in again next time. We'll be looking forward to hearing from you and seeing you and feeling your presence. You've been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed this show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to Jeremy Weiland for joining us today. If you would like to send us a question before the next show, please read the instructions on our page at llresearch.org slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Have rather every other Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful couple weeks and we'll talk with you then. Outro music.